Hello, the series you're about to hear on the GBM Media Podcast is from the Serving Today archive. It's called Moses, Lessons on Leadership. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Serving Today, the programme for pastors and church leaders. This is Andrew Cook. It's good to be together once more. Drawing Lessons on Leadership from the life of Moses. And more from Philip Grist on the missionary C.T. Studd. Here on Serving Today, we're looking at the life of Moses in order to draw lessons on leadership. And continuing his overview of the first 40 years of Moses' life, we're joined again by Howard Sayers. Well, Andrew, having seen how God took care of Moses, we want to discover this time how God began to prepare his man very early in life and some of the practical ways in which that happened. His training began in the palace of Egypt. And there, as a young boy growing up into teenage years, he would have learnt the ways of Egypt being trained in Egyptian etiquette, the learning and wisdom of Egypt. He would learn about the government of the land of Egypt. All unknown to others, what is happening is that God is preparing Moses to communicate properly and appropriately with Pharaoh and with the government of the land. So there seems to be several lessons here that are relevant to leadership. There are three in particular. God's men need to be trained to serve in the way God has planned for them. Then we all need training in spiritual things and in the practical things of life. We must not despise our practical skills, but need to channel and direct them properly. At the same time, like Moses, we may need to learn diplomatic skills, how to talk to people and approach people in different spheres of life to the ones in which we would normally find ourselves. Skills that Moses would need and we need in the future. Yet 40 years seems a long time to be learning these sorts of things. It does, Andrew, but... These lessons need to be properly learned before we can move forward. And for Moses, that took 40 years. God's plan was that Moses should lead his people out of Egypt, lead them through the wilderness to the border of Canaan. And to do so effectively, he needed to be familiar with the court of Pharaoh. But then he was going to need to know how to live the life of a desert nomad. And that brings us on to the final aspect of this first 40-year period of Moses' life. I would call this God moving his chosen man forward. And to see something of that, I wonder whether you could just read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, Andrew. By faith, when Moses had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God, 
rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. We can see in the life of Moses now that God sometimes works in mysterious ways as he trains men for his service. What follows is something we can neither justify or excuse. Moses appears to have had some sense of his calling by this time. Bear in mind, he is now 40 years old. He told the Israelites about it, but they did not understand. And we can appreciate that because, no doubt, Moses looked and behaved like an Egyptian in many ways, especially having been brought up in the palace. However, Moses was a Hebrew, and he now identifies himself with the Hebrews as God's people, and he has by now certainly identified himself with God. So what happens next? Well, the next sad episode is that in an angry outburst, Moses committed murder. Anger and impetuosity got the better of him. That meant that Pharaoh turned against him and he had to flee the country and go to Midian where he found work as a shepherd. And what are the lessons for leaders here? Again, I suggest three lessons. Personal commitment to God is essential but costly. Also, such commitment to God must come before a call to public service. And it often brings us into danger from all sorts of people, not only from God's enemies, but sometimes even from God's own people. So now another phase in Moses' life begins. And to summarise everything so far, Moses has fled from Egypt for his life. He has openly declared himself for God and God's people, which has cost him his security, his prospects and his family. Though as yet he is not called to public service, he has now left all for Christ's sake. And over 320 kilometres away, God is going to further prepare him over another period of 40 years. Now with the concluding part of C.T. Studd's story, here's Philip Grist. C.T. and his young colleagues sailed from India to Port Said, and from there they trekked over a period of nine months. During their long trek, C.T. was taken ill. They literally followed James 5. All they had was a supply of oil for the lamp. His colleague dipped his finger in the oil and anointed C.T. and they prayed. C.T. wrote in his diary, How God did it I don't know, nor do I care. But this I know next morning that whereas I was sick nigh unto death, now I am healed. We can trust him too little, but we can't trust God too much. And what became of C.T. Studd's wife during this time? Well, back in England, Mrs. Studd became seriously ill 
and was told later that she must in future live a very quiet life. Did she? No. From her bed at the time, she organized centers for prayer. When C.T. returned to England for a short period in 1914, he found a well-organized headquarters with his wife in full control. And this meant that C.T. Studd could go back to Africa with peace of mind, so to speak. C.T. returned to Africa and was never to visit England again. Once more, C.T. and those with him trekked for hundreds of miles through the jungles, reaching their destination to discover about 60 believers who were now worshipping the Lord together. In 1917, C.T.'s first colleague and his wife left for furlough. That left just six pioneer missionaries in the heart of Africa. Mrs. Studd and supporters felt the urgent need for reinforcements and rallied people together for prayer. Within three years, six had become nearly 40, and this included another of C.T.'s daughters. In 1921, when C.T.'s son-in-law returned, the son-in-law wrote of the thousands held in bondage to darkness and witchcraft. See their hopeless ignorance, he wrote. They've never heard of a God who loves and cares. They have no conception of holiness or heaven. So how was the work in Africa developing by this stage? From the year 1922, the African headquarters was in a place called Ibambi in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where God had been working so powerfully. A simple building was erected to accommodate 1,200 people. People came in from all around, some walking for many hours so that they could hear the gospel of God's grace. C.T. referred to it as the sound of abundance of rain, in other words, showers of blessing. What impact did this have on the support work in England? Back in England, the vision for a worldwide mission was beginning to be seen. So the mission, named World Evangelization Fellowship, came into being. The vision for the whole world was biblical and followed the great purpose of the Saviour. Every nation, every tribal group, every language, the gospel is for the world. What about C.T. Studd in himself? How was he coping with the demands of the work? As the decade through the 1920s progressed, C.T. became increasingly exhausted. For years he had endured the hardships of his very primitive life. He suffered from a very stiff leg, so that he was nicknamed One Leg. But this did not prevent him from a huge mountain of work. His correspondence via the mail was immense, and the mail runner, as he was known, called every evening at eight o'clock to collect the mail. With a spear in one hand and a lantern in the other, he would trek for twelve hours through the jungle to catch the outgoing mail at eight the next morning. What a contrast from our modern means of communication. And he was suffering with his health as well by this stage. Yeah, C.T.'s teeth were a great problem to him. So great that some felt he should go back to England to see a dentist. He refused, 
not knowing that a young dentist had heard of his need, and possessing a longing to spread the gospel in Africa, sold his business and brought a set of false teeth with him. Truly, my God shall supply all your needs. Through 1928, C.T. had one heart attack after another. Then he received news that his wife had died suddenly. She had visited him a year before for a fortnight, and in his little bamboo house they had bid their farewells, knowing that they would never meet again on earth. How did C.T. Studd's life come to an end? In July 1931, he developed severe stomach pains and gradually became weaker. He tried to talk, but could only utter one word, hallelujah. A few hours later, he lapsed into unconsciousness, and at the age of 70, passed into the glory of his eternal rest. Thank you to Philip Grist, and there we bring our time together to an end here on Serving Today. This is Andrew Cook saying goodbye. May we all know God's presence as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thanks for listening to Serving Today, a podcast from the Grace Baptist Mission radio team. To get in touch with us, you can send us a message via WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven five zero eight nine three two five three four. That's plus four four seven five zero eight nine three two five three four. Or email us. The address is servingtoday at gbm.org.uk. Until next time, goodbye.